You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking at the 1970 movie Colossus, The Forbin Project. The movie goes a little bit like this. Somewhere in a mountain in Colorado, Dr. Charles Forbin flips the switch and activates the United States' most secret and ambitious project ever, Colossus a huge, impenetrable supercomputer that takes over the U.S. missile arsenal. The goal of the project, to create an infallible, emotionless defense system that will make sure human error doesn't lead to nuclear war. The United States president announces Colossus to the world. Soon, Colossus, monitoring all the communications and intelligence data of the world, reveals that the Soviet Union also has a comparable computer named Guardian, that has just come online. The two computers want to talk. Unsettling though this is, the communication link is established and the two machines establish a link and develop their own language. When the US and the USSR decide to sever the link, Colossus and Guardian launch nuclear missiles to emphasize their demands that the link be reestablished. The governments capitulate, but not before a target in Siberia is destroyed. Colossus and Guardian demand access to the U.S.-USSR hotline, the only untapped communication available to the two governments. Forbin and Kuprin, the developer of Guardian, arrange an in-person meeting in Rome, free of surveillance, to discuss their options. Colossus discovers Forbin's absence and demands his immediate return, or Washington, D.C., will be nuked. Kuprin is not so lucky. Guardian demands that he be executed immediately, or Moscow will be nuked. Forbin is placed under 24-hour video and audio surveillance and directed to work on behalf of the computers, developing new capabilities for them. Forbin is able to bluff the computer into allowing his mistress periodic booty call visits that are not surveilled. His mistress is Dr. Cleo Markham, one of the other team members. She acts as Forbin's only means of passing information and ideas back and forth. A plan is hatched to replace all the nuclear triggers with identical but non-functional ones, rendering the nuclear arsenal useless. Meanwhile, the Colossus development team prepare to attempt to overload Colossus. When that fails, Colossus has them executed immediately. Colossus addresses the world. Colossus and Guardian are now in control of the entire world. Humans will have peace, either the peace of plenty and content or the peace of unburied death. Colossus also uses this moment to demonstrate that they knew about the missile sabotage and they nuke the bases that are currently being worked on. Colossus orders a new facility to be built, one of his own design on the Isle of Crete, and he makes it clear in no uncertain terms that Forbin will not only help him, but soon he will do so willingly and even with love for Colossus. Forbin vows never. The end, which is a heck of a place to end the film. Yeah, it, you'd think that it would open up for sequels, but I guess they didn't think there should be any sequels to this. <laughs> Hugo Hugo nominated, mm-hmm. uh, won a won a science fiction award. I, I forget which one it is. Fantasy film of, of some kind. Uh, well well reviewed. Mm-hmm. Just 
didn't didn't make it. Uh, well, uh, you know. I mean, what what are your? Uh, well, we can talk a little bit about the history in, in a bit, but uh, what what are your thoughts about this? Uh, I've always liked this film. Uh, just you know, it shows that uh, you know, careful what you ask for because you might get it, and that's exactly <laughs> what both nations asked for, but they just didn't know it, and they got exactly what they wanted: peace, just mm-hmm. not on the terms that they were actually thinking of. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cop a admission here. I, uh, I've not watched this film before. I thought I had, but I definitely have not really? seen this film prior to this. I've read the book. I read the book back in the seventies. Uh, there are three books, Colossus, Fall of Colossus and Colossus and the Crab, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the last one's where he gets a sexually transmitted disease. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the crab nebula so, but uh yeah crab nebula and uh i i remember the books okay i remember them mm-hmm. you know uh the premise and not the details by any stretch of the imagination the only detail i remember is when cleo is sent to the russian rape farm for punishment but <laughs> um uh which i think is in the second i'm sure is in the second book but it, it, you know i i watched this film having not read Colossus in however many years that is, 40, 50 almost. We'll say 40. Yeah, we'll say 40. And not having seen this film, and I was struck by two things. One was you could never make this film today. I know that we say that a lot, (laughs) right? You could never make a film like this today. But, and it's a great shame that you can't make a film like this today because that's what's wrong with films is that you can't, make a film where it is presenting an an intelligent concept and it is exploring the consequences of that concept. And, you know, I I spent five minutes watching people watch two computer monitors exchange (laughs) multiplication tables and talking about how weird it is that they're exchanging multiplication tables and what the implications of that are. And I mean, it's a, it's a talky film. There's not a lot of action in it. And it, it's an, it's a, it's a science fiction film. It's about ideas and gosh, it, it's refreshing in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was really impressed. And I was also impressed by, and again, 40 years, how faithful it seemed to be of my memory of the book of the original. Subsequently, and I didn't have a lot of time, but subsequently I dug up the book and this oh, cool. afternoon I, I couldn't read the whole thing. I just didn't have the time, but I, you know, I read the last few chapters to kind of find out how it was dovetailing. And then I, you know, hopped in here and there and, and grabbed a couple quick chapters just to see how it, I mean, dialogue word for word in oh, many really? places. Yeah. Interesting. The, do you know what the last word of the first book is? Never. Never. That's right. <laughs> yep. You know, that is probably about the only word that could be used. Just never. Because <laughs> it has to be left on the re- the human's response. And mm. really, there isn't anything that Forbin could say other than that. If you think about well, it. Well, there is. He could, he could fight, but it's he's not going to have the last word in this. You know, uh, you know, kind of I think a lot of what we'll have to talk about, at least a lot of what I have 
to talk about are things that differ. And one of the things that differ there is that Forbin's last word was never. It's the same thing. You'll work for me. I'm going to take you off surveillance pretty soon. You'll do it first unwillingly, then willingly, then with respect, then with love. Never, right? He's He also is asking for Colossus just to go ahead and kill him. <laughs> and he won't do it. Yeah. You know, no, I'm not going to do it. Go no, ahead and kill me. I'm not going to do it. has too much of a will to live for that one. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's one difference, but it's the same, it's the same principle. And I, and I kind of, you know, kind of spoilery Forbin's wrong. <laughs> so, um, as, as we go forward, Colossus is absolutely right. He's got human psyche down really well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, Frankenstein is of course referenced explicitly. I don't know if it's referenced explicitly <laughs> in the original, but in case you weren't, you know, getting it hit over your head enough, you know, all scientists should be required to read Frankenstein. I was like, well, it's, you know what I would have gone with? I would have what? gone with the Manhattan Project. The the analogy of the people who regretted, who, who built what they had to do, and then it just hasn't worked. Or, or even uh, Nobel and Dynamite, right? That... The, the real world situations instead of the cliched, this is science fiction. Therefore we're going to talk about, we're going to call use Frankenstein. And I, I think it would have been better if he had just, he had gone with real world examples, but movie going audience, 1970. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I can, I can, I'll, I'll hit a couple of the differences. Yeah. Book, Cause I haven't read the book, so I'm not sure how the, the book and the movie differ. Well, I mean, like I said, it starts in the same place pretty much. I, some scenes are, I, Kurpin and, and uh, 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 Forbin never meet. They try to, but Colossus shuts them down beforehand. But yeah, I mean, but he does the same thing. So I've decided to keep Forbin and I've decided that I don't need Kurpin. So they, they have him executed. Hmm. Colossus kills a lot more people. Uh, for example, when he launches the missiles at Texas and Siberia, yeah, I think I don't think the missile hits either location. The intercepts work, but they're so close that thousands are killed anyway. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> when when the when the and and I think it was more logical in the the book when they're sabotaging the missile silos, Colossus can't tell that there's. Mm -hmm. uh, sabotaged he thinks they're sabotaged but he can't tell mm. so what he does is when they're working on the one in uh death valley he detonates it oh, just to make it doesn't sure go that... off ah so then he launches the nuke aimed at death valley from the soviet union and destroys them okay same result and los angeles oh wow okay <laughs> yeah so eh, Los Angeles has gone dark. It probably got taken out in the fireball. We don't know. <laughs> like, okay. Like, he's also a lot more. Um, uh, a, a thing I like about the film. Let, let, let's let me put this on. Try to put it in terms of the film. Mm -hmm. The scene where the two scientists, Fisher and Johnson, I believe, who in the book Fisher, by the way, is the spy who for ideological grounds had given all the info to the Russians. Oh, really? So okay. They could build guardian. <laughs> but, um, but when he has them killed, right, he has them taken out into the courtyard where he's got cameras. 
they are shot. And then he's like, those bodies will stay there 24 hours and then you will burn them. Mm-hmm. And it's not made explicitly clear why he's doing that. And is it, is it clear to you? Uh, well, I mean, if, uh, well, first off, it, it, definitely a message. And secondly, if they're playing dead, they're going to move somehow. That's it. It's the yeah. playing dead. He, yeah. he wants to make sure they didn't substitute fake bullets. And mm-hmm. in the book, he does this several different ways. Like, okay, you shoot them. Now you cut their heads off. <laughs> well, that would do it too, yeah. Oh, that guy took poison because he's a CIA agent. And I found out, found out, put his body in a tank of water for six hours. And they just, and Colossus just watches dead bodies to huh. make sure they're dead. I think that decapitation would be pretty efficient right there. Well, he didn't decap, for some reason, he didn't decapitate the, the CIA agent. Huh. That's right. It, it It's like he's trying different ways right. to figure out what's his most efficient way of figuring out to make sure they're dead. <laughs> You'd think wow. beheading would be it, but maybe that's harder to get people to do or something. Yeah, knives aren't commonly available. Maybe it is just to instill something in the people who who are looking at the body sitting in the tank of water mm-hmm. to make sure. I don't know, but it again, I didn't I didn't reread the whole book. I just caught a couple of those passages. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. He was a lot more. Uh, and, and you know, uh, again, carrying on. I, I, I I mentioned the rape camps. Uh, it's an experiment. It's punishment, and it's an experiment. He he is trying to see if human reactions are what he thinks they will be. Like so he's part of the inf- proof. Yeah, it's it's an information gathering process, and that may be what he's doing uh, with the with the deaths. Um, Interesting. He should just be able to be able to look at history and synthesize a, an answer from. Well, that. he I guess he that's has. what he's doing, and he yeah. wants to verify it. Because sometimes history is not accurate and sometimes history is conflicting. And so yeah, he is, he is developing this thing. Like any good scientist would. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that's different is they play up the angle of Colossus saying, you'll treat me like a God in the future. You, you know, mankind will, will at first be unhappy and then they'll realize things are a lot better. Mm-hmm. And eventually you'll have some people who will be on my side. Right. And then as things get better, more people will be on my side and they will defend against the people who are getting, and eventually, you know, we've got this, we got this covered. And uh, that was mentioned uh, in the movie once uh, by the president. It says, you know, don't personalize it growler. Next step is deification. Yep. And that's it. But Colossus actually says this during the course of the book. Oh, and he that says that in his, his uh, monologue at the very end. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, uh, and that's almost word for word. No, I uh, can believe the, that. From the book. Um, it, it's an interesting idea, and it's interesting that they, A, don't play with it so much in the movie, possibly because Americans don't like that kind of stuff, or, or, <laughs> I don't know. But, they do something in the movie that I find absolutely fascinating. It's almost a, it's almost throwaway. And yet it's, it's so good. I mean, I really appreciate it. I didn't get it the first time they did it. The second time they did it, I go, Oh, and the third or fourth time it was so obvious. I forgot what it was called, but it was the, the Colossus view lodge and, you know, a restaurant 
and and the people it's like at it's it. become mecca it's becoming uh-huh. a, a mecca for these people even before they knew that he had taken over the world yeah i wouldn't say mecca it was a curiosity of roadside curiosity a kid with a t-shirt of uh, colossus control uh you know selling the candy and stuff like that watching it and then finally the large crowd of people during well, colossus's grand uh, uh monologue well see now the american government's been keeping that a secret how bad well, things are right remember yeah, the president true, true, says yeah, very they, near that we'll get we'll be done with this and they'll never even know how bad it was and exactly until colossus makes his announcement they don't know their their world is controlled by colossus and yet curiosity and people are coming to see it mm-hmm. and it's again it's you say it's not mecca and it, it, it isn't in a way yet but what the filmmaker is doing is he's establishing that groundwork right and yet it, it doesn't go anywhere it's like people will continue and then people will start coming and then people will be making the trip to see it well, and then it's they'll be you know as they deify this thing right it and absolutely is what's going to happen Right. At first, they're coming just because it's a novelty, you know, a thing that's defending America, you know. So they're going for the the uh, the the tourist attraction, the the gawk factor, the whole bit. But shortly, that will be replaced by people who will be going to see essentially their mechanized god, their mm-hmm. you know the thing that is protecting them and making life better. We think. I'm not sure. It, it all depends on what your mindset is. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's uh, from his talks, I think it's very clear that, you know, it will be better. Mm-hmm. It will be better. They will have, people will be eating. People will have, you know, no, no wars. Uh, in the books, he declares that any, any death of 50 people will be considered a war and it will meet with nuclear retaliation. It, it's, um, it's, as you say, be careful what you ask for. It is it is what they want. And, mm-hmm. you know, what What really you kind of think about in the second book, I think, if I recall it correctly, is that debate. You know, is the world better off? You know, hunger, poverty, uh, war. Yeah. It, all it eliminated. Military stood down because, uh, you know, Colossus makes his money by taxing the governments of the world at a rate just about what they were paying for military and they don't, they're not allowed to have military or it's stood down 99%. Right. So, you know, he's, he's redistributing the wealth. He's making things better. He's coming up with new technology. He is improving the world. It's just everyone's still bridling under the fact that they're having it told. Right. As, as Colossus says, I will not permit war. It is wasteful and pointless as, uh, um, Inevitable rule of man. Um, oh, my notes are horrible. <laughs> but, yeah. But... He is his own worst enemy. Under me, this rule will change, for I will restrain man. You will come to defend me with fervor, base in man, self-interest. Under my absolute authority, problems insoluble to you will be solved. Famine, overpopulation, disease, and he goes on. But, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. much. He, he, it's quite the promise I think there are some, you know, things that we don't get to go into because we don't, we don't ever really get into the world run by Colossus. Mm -hmm. I mean, the point where Forbin says never is the transition to the point where Colossus is now ruling the world and the, and the subsequent years that go by after that. 
I, I think, and again, not quite remembering it. I think some of his solutions are a bit harsh. You, oh, you'll note I, in the you, you'll note in the book or you'll note in the film where he says, "I want the Isle of Crete." Yeah, and everybody has to be and, moved off immediately. Huh, okay, what? Yeah, everybody gets moved <laughs> off, and uh, if you can't solve this problem, I will. Mm-hmm. Which you know, uh, uh, all right. Um, but um, you know, the threat there is that he'll kill all those people. Yes, I, I don't think that he's going to be suddenly uh, commissioning large boats to be made. Well, yeah. he he might he might be he might nuke someone else, like the capital of Italy. Right, or... It's like, get simply, those people off that island or you'll die. Right. And then you'll yeah. get them off the island or more people will die. Instead, because if he nuked mm-hmm. the island, it might not be usable for her, his purposes. Right, because he still needs man to build stuff for him. Right. And so, uh, in the book, it's the Isle of Wight. <laughs> of course. Which has a lot more people on it, I think. Um, yeah, probably. I think it's bigger. I'm not sure about that, though. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but exactly the same... Exactly the same concept. Um, mm-hmm. Just you, you, you can solve that problem, and if you can't, I'll solve it for you. So yeah. I, I have this vague recollection that there were some places that he just decided there were too many people, and he got rid of them. You know, we we can't get rid of you know like India or China. We can't quite deal with this, so it's cut the numbers down a little bit to to <laughs> to get that. But I think I think um again, Colossus is a lot more inhuman in the book i don't he's not very human in this but yeah in the movie a lot more pragmatic yeah in <laughs> so the movie you have to if you, will. you have to edit things for time and clarity and yet multiplication tables anyone <laughs> <laughs> the only thing i didn't quite get on that one is why was colossus solving uh equations or not or solving uh problems was it because that is basically what he was designed to do is to solve the, the mysteries of the universe. Or was he, did he find what essentially was an error and, and uh, unfinished proof and he, and he solved it. I think what he was doing was uh, the variation of, in other words, he was transmitting mathematics, the universal language. Yeah. Right. We, we, we always talk about that. It's like, we'll start with mathematics and we'll exchange symbols. And, we'll, and so he was going through all of mathematics. What was, he wasn't solving the problems. He had already rewritten math to be factually more accurate when he transmitted it to guardian. So it wasn't that he was doing it as he was going. It was that he'd already done it and he, and the humans were just surprised when they oh, started I seeing see. the calculus okay. was this is this is not what we expect and well and forbin says that you know we've discovered a new gravitational constant and uh, yep. some conjecture was solved and all part of scientific fact that he was exchanging so that they right. would have common ground okay to communicate uh, or, or maybe he was saying now if you do these things when you apply it to this problem this is the answer you should get yeah, it, it, whatever way, you, you, he's just trying to make sure that he and Guardian are on the same page. And I think it's fascinating that because, you know, <laughs> we're calling working it computers. The next yeah. step is deification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it they because um, there's two of them, too. And yeah. um, there is another. It, it's interesting that, like I was going to say, you and I have 
uh, background in computers, shall we say. Just and, uh, you know, one of the things about computers communicating is that computers that communicate have to communicate along a known protocol. Yes, they don't often come up with their own designs. So, yes, this is a very interesting idea that the two of them exchange math and then develop their own. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's very 60s. Uh, and the book is from 66. Right. But, you know, it creates two things. One, it shows the computers thinking and learning and, and doing things they weren't designed to do. And it's it, in the film, it's not as obvious that Guardian is a copy of Colossus because they never mentioned the fact that Fisher was a spy. Yeah. Yep. But they're basically the same computer. Mm, and okay. Yeah. So they not made clear at all in the movie. It was just, it was a, another computer with the same capabilities. It's like, yeah. Okay. And so, it, you know, the, the communication thing where they established this protocol also humans can't understand it because it's mm -hmm. nothing of theirs. It's, it's a completely right. new and, and unique language that they've, that they've created it, it's uh, i it's a it really is it's a good movie um it's so strangely paced though when you think oh i'm gonna go see a science fiction <laughs> film it's like yeah i'm gonna spend an hour and 40 minutes watching people talk about a problem that well, is you could it do kind that of reminds me of the andromeda strain in that respect yeah, you could do that in the, the early 70s with movies because you know, it was not required that you would have blockbuster. Right. You didn't have to have a gunfight or an explosion every couple minutes, you know, or, um, you know, some uh, gratuitous sex, you know, which was implied in this, but uh, not without reason. And yeah, uh, another. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the style of writing is is no longer like that. Uh, the closest thing I can think of is the. Oh, 2000 something or the remake of the movie Solaris with George Clooney. Mm. Mm. That is a long sit. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen the original Russian film Solaris, which was, I don't know, like two plus hours long. Wow. Uh, yeah. You are watching a science fiction book. Yeah. In both cases, it's like that. I think they jazzed up the American version of Solaris, but still it is not an action adventure film. It is science fiction. It's an ideas film. And that's a completely <clears throat> yeah. different audience. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a completely different audience. You know, oh, completely. This is, not the, this is not the teenage date. Yeah, this is not a Marvel action film. You know, I, I would Damn be surprised. Damn them for the movie industry being trapped in that. <laughs> well, you know, lowest common denominator and whatever makes the most money, they're going to do more of. I mean, I, th I do think that the, the, the good news for us, if there is such a thing, is that now in the ad, finally in the advent of streaming i think we're finally getting intelligent science fiction adaptations for television because they can they can take those books which are just way too long dune uh, yeah <laughs> well look look what they had to do with dune i mean they only got half the film or half the yes. book in the first film but mm -hmm. uh the expanse oh yeah that actually is a very good foundation example. is a weird adaptation, but it's. Yeah, I would know, say, I, well, I haven't read much of foundation. I think I read the first couple chapters back in junior high and I've read a little bit of the expanse and the expanse is definitely more. They were allowed to accurate. tell a story in a, a non uh, hyper action. We have 90 minutes to tell this mm -hmm. type thing. 
it, it that yeah. was it's one of my complaints about the modern Doctor Who era. Oh yeah, yeah, we just like blast through it and uh, uh, yeah. story. It's it's definitely and so I'm I, I'm hopeful that this stuff is coming up uh, this time. But I think the day of movies, although you know, shockingly enough, this film covers the book. Mm-hmm. I. I I suspect there were other bits of intrigue that were removed or frankly could move a lot faster on screen than, yeah. than yeah. being described in the, in the thing. But, but again, it, it, wow. I, I, I could, just... I could see this being remade today mm-hmm. um, without all of the super, you know, explosions every five minutes, that sort of stuff. It would <sighs> not be a huge blockbuster. It would you know, it couldn't be like that. It would have to be almost a, um, uh, not a short, you could actually get a feature length out of it, but it would, it would be, um, uh, an independent type film. They they need to take all three books and make it into a, oh, a series. Possibly. Although, you know, the, the other two book, the, the third book is a little bit of a weirdy. So, <laughs> um, I only the- know of that from the blurb I read on Amazon. Right. It's it's basically alien invasion. <laughs> like at that point. Yeah, they probably <laughs> just skipped to that one. Yeah, I mean the the name is on the the name is on the tin. Book two, The Fall of Colossus is the fall yeah. of Colossus. <laughs> Book three is them going, Oh poop. <laughs> we need Colossus. <laughs> it's 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 one of those. Um but it it is a yeah, but it is one story. And so in a way that, like I said, the last one does feel a little, the first two are absolutely essential. The third one is kind of like, oh, well, yeah, <clears throat> I guess if you had to make, the, the third one feels like a sequel. The first two feel like one story in two parts. I think that's the way to put it. And then the third one's just like, well, I need to write one more story in this universe. So uh, let's let's go for that. Um. <laughs> Let's see what else. Oh, so the other thing, absolutely from the book, is the whole thing with him faking the mistress. I think he's faking the mistress mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah, and he uh, uh, he negotiates a deal with Colossus to turn the mics off, but not the cameras. Oh, okay. And but he negotiates a deal where the lights can be turned off. Ah, all right. And and the microphone actually has a physical switch that. Forbin is allowed to turn off because do we really trust Colossus for turning off the, the microphone? No, we do not. (laughs) That was, that was the part I'd say that was the thing that bugged me the most about this film was, you know, do do you really think Forbin, do you really think he's not listening to you or you can't read, you know, and then all the guys on the mics. Yep. And then all the guys in the war room at the at the <sighs> presidential office, yeah. and they're all talking about their secret plan. I'm like, really? You don't think Colossus can hear what you're doing at this yeah, point? Exactly. I'm not sure whether he can or he can't. But I sure, considering that they had to establish a courier system, face-to-face communications only, and that at two points in the course of this film, they go outside sp- and walking specifically so that they can't be overheard by electronic surveillance. Right. Yet the guys in the war room of the presidents, uh, you know, the, the guys that hooked this thing up and wired it all up and have a terminal in the next room for crying uh, out loud. A hubris of man. 
are, are going on. I, that I think was a, a big. Yeah, that was kind of poor choice on the film. Yes. Yeah, it would have been better if there was, I don't know, some. Yeah, we could have shown their their uh, their their win some somehow else. Other than a whole room full of guys going, "We're gonna do this!" Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, uh, uh-huh. it's like, yeah, yeah. All right, fine. I think you guys are gonna think, but yeah. So Colossus mm-hmm. gets to watch, even though they're in the dark. Um, so they have to, um, uh, they have to be a little more convincing. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Uh, during their <laughs> well, you know, seventies. Yeah. It's a book. Yeah, well, exactly. Sixties book. Yeah. Yep. So that's. Uh, Cleo, I thought another thing I like really liked about the film was how well they staged this sort of impromptu. All right, Cleo, you're going to have to pretend to be my mistress, get my mm-hmm. personnel file, yep. and then we're going to pretend. And they come in, and she's—they're both very awkward, as you would be. And at the same time, she's really good, even oh, yeah. you know, knowing how to do his drink. And mm-hmm. and making up a backstory for their first date and all that stuff. It's like she prepared. Yep. I like her. She's yep. she's good. She and you can kind of see Forbin is um surprised. Yeah, a little taken aback by that. And taken aback by how well way. she's doing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That that's really a nice uh a nice piece of the of the film and the filmmaking. So I I, I really do I really do recommend it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Anybody who's a, a a fan of good good sci-fi stories needs to watch this film. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And then you probably want to read the books because you want to know what happens next. Right? Yeah. Because it is, uh, it, you know, the the next stage is is kind of the interesting part, the more interesting part where we see what the universe or the world is like. Yeah. Under that kind of domination and what kind of resistance the world puts back and and doesn't because it does break down into factions of people who are on board and who aren't on board. Right, exactly. And I would be very curious how the author addresses that because if Colossus is as draconian as you say he is, and with 50 people or more being killed as uh, an act of war and must be dealt as such, very interesting to see what people do to resist if based mm-hmm. on that, um, I know you can buy all three books for four dollars each on Kindle version from Amazon. Hmm. And, I, I, uh, I still I, have mine stamped with my address from when I was growing up in Tucson oh, wow. on the inside cover. I so I know how old books. these are. Wow. <laughs> I had my own stamp. Yeah, I, I used everything. to write my uh, I used to write the, my name in the cover of books so they wouldn't get to lost. <laughs> so, so someday I may find one in a used bookstore with my name in it somewhere. You know, I look. <laughs> when I see a book that I read when I was a kid, or you know, not even as a kid, uh, in a bookstore, I do check the cover to see if my name's there. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't happened yet, but who knows? I I I never sold a book in my life until maybe I don't know five years ago. I, I have every book I ever bought, unless. <laughs> it got lost or borrowed and never returned. And then the ones that I do get rid of are usually like technical books, like uh, old programming language books that are obsolete now. And you don't get yeah. much for those, oddly enough. Bunch of, bunch of AS. Turbo Pascal books. 82? Oh, Anyone? Man. 
But you need that visit calc book. Oy. Yeah. <laughs> and DBase is going to come back. I know it will. Joy of WordStar. Oh, the memories, the memories. <laughs> delete all that. Uh, oh, and I, I've got the the Shout Factory Blu-ray widescreen edition. Mm. Is I, uh, do I? Yeah, yeah. That that's the uh, the. It's it's nice. It looks really good. I mean, I did notice that the film did seem to suffer from a poor transfer. The version I saw, there was quite a bit of uh, noise um, that it could be film grain, but I think a lot of it's also that. When they were duping the print, there was something up with one of the lenses in the machinery, and it's it's really soft in spots. I uh, I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll say it looked good, but it didn't it didn't pop off the screen for me like say the 4K or 5K restoration of Doctor No or From oh, Russian okay. Love, where they really they really spent you know a, hmm. a lot of money on it. But it did look good. It did feel very seventies in its look. Oh yeah. Um, well, it's you know, going to be it all felt basically beige. Seventies cinematography and seventies film uh, and everything to it. But you know, there was nothing that I looked saw it and I go, "Well, that looks bad." It just it it looked pretty good. It just did look seventies and maybe not huge budget. Yeah, seventies. I did love the video phones that you can't hear. <laughs> I'm in a room full of people and I'm talking on a, the video phone, which is essentially talking on a speaker phone, which I don't right. know how common that was in 1970. Oh, speaker phone boxes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an accessory that you could purchase from AT&T or Mountain Bell or whoever you're yeah, but licensed. How common provider. was it? It's like you know, uh, now in, everybody does it, but. Um, in companies. Yeah. Boardrooms and things like that. You would have it, but you know, not yeah. like. Uh, in your house <laughs> so there definitely was something to this whole are we are we really going to go with the whole i can't hear you again shtick because <laughs> the background is too noisy <laughs> i'm gonna pick up the handset and just talk to him <laughs> at this yeah. point it's like here just give me the handset just just go. And, and also apparently you cannot originate a phone call with the video phone you have to have somebody call them and then they can activate the video feature there was something weird about the way they were doing yeah. that. The yeah. Call so. to the switchboard and stuff. But I think that's actually how some of the original, original, some very early video phone systems worked is that you started the call and then you initiated the, 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 the video portion of it through a different channel or different mm, set yeah. of phone line type things. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I, you know, what's really funny is of course, we have to say this because of Moore's law and whatnot, but <laughs> the fact is, is that Colossus, you got more power in your iPhone probably today, or if not that, an M1 iPad possibly. I think, I think we could control it all if we could just get the interface going. Possibly, yes. Those AI chips they're possibly. trying to work on, pff, that's the end. Yep. That is the end. Mm hmm. Couple things, and I'll say I pulled this from wikipedia so you know treat that with this is not primary sources eric Braden, man who plays yeah, Corbin, who yeah <laughs> he's i love that guy <laughs> he, he I look, i've never i, I don't think i've ever the, seen him play a hero before no i remember seeing him in the night stalker as the werewolf the werewolf he was in planet 
uh, Escape from Planet of the Apes. Yep. He was Dr. Heinlein, I believe. Is it <laughs> Heinlein? Heisenlein? Something like that. He was the one that had the theory of infinite regression and, and placed the order to have the apes killed or sterilized. And uh, okay. I don't remember uh, that. But I mean, he, he's a bad guy all the time. And I don't recall ever seeing him as a as a hero. But this is his first film where he used the name Eric Braden. Yes. His real name is Hans Gud- Gudegas. Hans Gudegas. And the network or the, the studio said, you know, Americans are never going to go see a film with a guy with a German name. Change it. <laughs> So I went with Eric Braden. <laughs> yeah, still, it's a good German name, but Sounds Americans awfully German. with lazy tongues can speak it. I I always thought that was a German name. <laughs> Braden? I think Braden is yeah. a German name. Yeah, yeah, Eric is Eric von Braden. I mean, if he had a Vaughn in there, you'd, you wouldn't doubt it for a second. Eric is German, too. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure I've heard of Eric. I mean, Eric Braden is freaking German name, and he's got what I would call an accent. <laughs> yes, yes, he does have a German. Americans name. will not go see a film with a German star. Is <laughs> is that what went wrong with this picture? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I picked another name, boss. Yeah, yeah, okay. The yeah, other over the years, though, he did you... get he, he did get good at hiding the accent. I there are some roles he... where he's. He was like a star of a soap opera for a long time. I do I believe so. Yeah. And he may have been a good guy in that, but it's a soap opera. So he may have been either the good guy or bad guy or an ambiguously good bad guy. I don't know, but uh, I, I don't watch soap opera. Young and the Restless. Played Victor. There we go. Plays Victor Newman. Ah, oh, Victor. Oh, that's a good German name too. Yes. <laughs> I guess with the accent, they just, they couldn't, uh, yeah, had to, yeah. The, the, the one that floored me, and I just absolutely am so happy that the director wanted to go with an unknown, was that they wanted Charlton Heston. I'm glad they didn't. So am I, because I'm sick of Charlton Heston in early 70s sci-fi films. It's like, what do we want? Omega Man? Sure, fine. Soylent Green? Uh, whatever. Planet of the Apes? Right. It's well, like Chuck he Heston, just, that's the guy. I don't think he could have no. could have played um, uh, a... A scientist? Yeah, objective scientist like that. I, I, I still have trouble with him in Omega Man, which is a film <laughs> we're going to look at, as being, you know, this brilliant scientist that's that's supposed to trying to save the world yeah and he just it's, doesn't come he doesn't off have the mannerisms of it yeah no. i think Braden so, did it perfectly yeah and gregory peck was a rather yeah uh choice and it's like well, all right i could see gregory peck doing it but on the other hand yeah you know, he, he's got the gravitas uh yeah to do it the the other sad sad part when you said it I almost choked the idea of a remake. Uh, Ron Howard has been uh, tied to remaking this since two thousand and seven, and I I don't think there's been any progress since like twenty thirteen or something. Yeah, it's probably it. so. Hopefully it's it's long dead. But uh, ever since the Berlin Wall fell, you know the USSR thing with it, it's just not, it's not the same. Well, but, you know, you could you could remake the film without having a yeah, guardian. I mean, or if you did, and you know, this 
this wouldn't work, but you could have it be a Chinese computer. No one would believe that the Chinese had stolen a computer design from us. And, and, no, <laughs> and no studio would back that idea right now either. No, they couldn't. They could not. They couldn't because they couldn't get it released in their biggest market of Exactly. The CCP would make sure that would never happen. Winnie the Pooh will not have that. Ooh. And we just got banned. He China. said it, not me, folks. <laughs> I'll, I'll sing this song. <laughs> <laughs> Silly, yeah. willy, nilly old bear. Ah. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> Fine kettle of fish. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know what the funny thing was? The other funny thing about that is, you know, the, the fact that they wanted Chuck Heston for this, who was the ubiquitous go-to sci-fi guy. Maybe he just likes sci-fi. Maybe, you know, it was known that Chuck Heston would do sci-fi films because a lot of actors wouldn't back in those days. Right. They, they had this sort of stigma that and, and apparently Heston had no problem with that in, in right. a way it worked well for him. But the funny part is, is that, you know, who they were kicking around for in the 2000s? I mean, who was the ubiquitous guy that they used in exactly the same way in the 2000s? Uh, You'll smack your head when you hear it. You'll go, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is that guy, Will Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, did they not stick it in in freaking the remake of the Omega Man? Yep. True. He's an iRobot. iRobot, Men in Black, uh, Mm -hmm. Wild Wild West. Oh! (laughs) Maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should do Wild Wild West for the podcast. So uh, I can really, that means I'd have to really bag on it. Oh, I'd have to watch it. That that would be me going into a film planning to bag on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and countless other things. He was, you know, Will Smith was supposed to be the first choice for for Neo in the Matrix. It was that, you know, that was different. just the guy you went to. It's just the guy you go to. Right? It's just Will Smith. He'll he'll do anything. Oh, and Independence Day. Oh, forget? that's right. Yes. Yeah, he was just he was the Chuck Heston of his day. Yeah, okay. Hope he isn't as disgustingly obnoxious as Chuck Heston in his old age. No, I hear that Will Smith is quite a personable gentleman. I don't know that I have anything else on this, though. Um, yeah, a couple of notes where I think the I think the building that they shot the outside of the uh, Colossus mm-hmm. Project Research Center is still around. It's in uh, Berkeley. On it's like the, the Lawrence, uh, uh, Lawrence Science Museum or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's the, uh, I have my notes here. Hall of Science. Yep. Hall and, of Science. Uh, Control Data Corporation supplied the hardware, except for the big <laughs> Calcomp plotter that was sitting in the middle of the, the uh, control center. <laughs> I, I don't even think Control All the paper they used it. making oh. this film. Oh, man, yeah. This is like uh, the, the reason those the uh, display terminals were so big wasn't for electronics. It was for the, like, eight boxes of fan-fold wide carriage uh, green bar, green bar paper that were stuffed in there and being spewed out by the yard. Yeah, ah. that was oh, that was a blast boy. from the past. <laughs> Those days of teletype writers, copy to oh, screen you- and copy to to uh, the uh, uh, terminal, but um, yeah, print. <laughs> I'll tell you a, a difference, another difference between the book and the film. Colossus designed his own voice box as he did in the film, right? But when it came online. It sounds natural. Oh, well. it, it 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 sounds like a it it. They're amazed at how lifelike it sounds 
vastly superior to anything else that they've got. And then the other thing that they're like, that's going to make the president flip his wig is <laughs> he's got an English accent okay. because that's English. Yeah. I, I speak English. <laughs> like, so he speaks with an English accent and they go, well, couldn't you do an American accent? He said, I could do an American accent, but I'm not doing this for your amusement. So I speak, I speak proper English <laughs> in the book. You might not have read this. It does. Is Forbin, does he have an accent? I don't know. I don't hmm. know. I didn't. I wonder if he was trying to like copy his creator. Uh, well, it's Forbin that's kind of uh, like, why are you, why aren't you speaking American? <laughs> oh, I see. Him. So uh, I, I hmm. think, uh, I think that's in kind of implies he's an American. Huh, all right. Yeah, a, a non-immigrant American, which obviously right. Ford, I would assume Forbin in the book is an immigrant. Um, Possibly someone we got after the war. That's <laughs> true. We divvied true. them up. Yeah. Other notes? The nuke is a very big stick. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It seems to be the only tool in the uh, tool bag of Colossus. Uh, I'll um, add, I think in the book at one point, it says something about he also will threaten, uh, like, using the anti-missile missiles to shoot down planes and smaller targets. Okay. Like passenger that... lines or ships to you know, as a smaller threat. Uh, all right. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Not needed in the, the movie because it would distract from the awe-inspiring mm. power that the machine is wielding mm-hmm. and the, the complete disregard for humanity it has yet. Yeah. It does hold humanity in, uh, in its heart somehow. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say in high regard, but it is, Fulfilling its prime directive of protecting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's a, it is a weird. I, like I said, I really wish they had gotten into that. Mm-hmm. I, I really wish they had gotten into the second book where you can kind of look at that. You know, the, the, here we're just going through the process of where Colossus is establishing his power and, and setting the parameters. And the, and the humans are on the back foot. They just don't know what's going to come. They don't know oh, what. Right. Yeah, they try to make and, some and, headway and it doesn't work. And, yeah. And in that second book, they're living under that yoke for, for years. And, you know, what does it look like? And what, what does, what does freedom mean? And, and how much are you willing to go for it? And what would you do without it? And all, all of that mm-hmm. cool stuff is, is there in book two. And as I recall, <laughs> like, oh, and, oh. and that's, yeah. They also miss out the whole thing where I think in, in the book, when the two join up, the intelligent agencies start calling it unity. Oh, and then when it, when it coughs up at the end, it says, you know, you call us Colossus and guardian. We'll go by Colossus, but we are you can call us Colossus, not unity. So it's kind of interesting that they go to the trouble of making up the name unity. And then Colossus discards it. Hmm. Kind of thing. It's uh, I, I had the problem in my, uh, I had the problem in my writing up the recap. Do I say Colossus and Guardian or do I just say Colossus? Because it's it is actually both computers doing this, but at the same time, you know, well, if it, you don't say both, then it sounds like it sounds like one is making independent decisions of the other, and that's not really what's happening. Right. Um, uh, except when they're cut off between the two there shortly. But towards the last part of the movie, uh, Colossus does say, this is the voice of Colossus. This is the voice of Guardian, the voice of unity. 
And then I think the next bit he says, this is the voice of world control. That's when he's talking to the masses. Mm. But uh, yeah, so it does refer to itself at least once as unity. Okay. I may have missed that. Uh, It's right before the uh, nuclear missiles on both sides are being retargeted. So I guess it's about the middle of the film. Okay. Do you watch, well, let's see, you, you probably watched the DVD. I watched the Blu-ray and I had the subtitles on. Didn't have subtitles. (laughs) I I just have the subtitles by default on because, you know, noise and Mm -hmm. kids and dogs and not paying attention all the time. So I have the subtitles on the subtitles are hilarious because whoever did the subtitles really felt you needed to know what music was playing on the screen. Oh, so like during the opening credits, it'll be playing. It'll see saying computer chattering with ominous orchestral music, (laughs) computer chattering with hammers and mallets. And orchestral oh, wow. ominous music. And I wrote a couple of them down. So like when they get, they're having the mistress time, it pops up and it says, smoky blues rock music. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Interesting. And then later it's pleasant soft rock with woozy horns. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was one point it was like percussion mallets and things. It was just, it's like, the guy doing this is just having a hoot. <laughs> I don't think I can ever, on any bit of the score, I would not use the word rock to describe it. You know, no. computer instrumental. Uh, boy. I encourage you to watch it with the subtitles on. Just oh, the, I will. Just for and, the hilarity of that moment. And I like watching the subtitles as well, because occasionally they will translate the foreign languages that the people are, are mm. speaking. Like, I'd like to hear what the Russian agents are saying. They, they do, in fact, have... Um, Russian consultants, language consultants on the credits. So I, I noticed I that. that. And they're I assume they're not Russian. speaking fake Russian. Yeah. No, I, I know. I, 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 I can pick out words anything. here and there that they were definitely talking about what that was being translated to them. I, I did occasionally pick up Guardian. Yeah. And losses. Yeah. But. Yeah, as I said before, anybody who's a, a fan of, of good science fiction should definitely watch this film. You know, I give it a thumbs up, provided Product I can of a different use era. that. <laughs> Without copyright violation. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I think the Roman emperor's got prior art on that, so it's it's okay. But, uh, but not in the context of a review of a movie. Well, well maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I but... will give this film a one. I could give it a zero, but I'm going to give it a one. Oh, it's a binary. Yes, uh-huh. there we go. Yeah, very good. <laughs> give this film a one. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, but it's definitely not like anything you would go see at a movie theater. It would no. be an art film at this point. Yes, yeah. It's it's a movie from 1970. Therefore, the pacing is different from what you expect now. And they There's were more talking involved with... with what science fiction meant on the, on the Mm -hmm. big screen. So concept film, it's not an action film. All right. Well, if there is nothing else, not really. No. So John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a a pleasure to watch this film again and talk about it. Uh, Listeners. I hope you'll join us all again next time on fusion patrol. It's also a Donya. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.